0: It's got to be because it's so big and there's so many people, or they got a huge building. You can fill in the blanks, our minds, the way things are today, you know, what is great and what is not, you know, the music, the types of people, on and on it goes. It's going to be pretty revealing one day when Jesus, when he judges what was a great church, what was a godly church, I believe it has nothing to do, there's nothing wrong with size, but it has nothing to do with size. It has to do with the people that are in that church. Are they, I'm just going to look at a few things this morning, you know, because a a church cannot be a great church, a church cannot be a godly church unless the people in there are walking with God. That's what makes a great church, that's what makes a godly church. It's not some vague thing. It's you. It's me. It's who we are. It's it's our walk with God. That's what makes a great church. I mean, when we call the disciples in the beginning a great church, when we think of them, Peter betrayed them, fisherman, tax collector, physician, and yet those twelve through the Spirit of God, turn the world upside down. And so I believe those were 12 great disciples. It has nothing to do with size, and sometimes we get intimidated. God doesn't need, as great as that can be, He doesn't need great numbers. He can use one person to turn a city upside down. He can use one person to turn an office upside down a school, no matter what it is, if you're walking with God, the the power of the Spirit of God will be on your life. That's these these worship songs that we're saying this morning. How great is God? God is great in our lives if we allow Him to be. Like Mike prayed, get out of the way and let Him take over. And so here Paul, I'm going to read here in in verse 26, that your rejoicing may be more abundant in Jesus Christ for me by my coming to you again. Only let your conversation or let your conduct be as it becomes the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel and in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation and that of God. For unto you is given the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which you saw in me, and now here to be in me. So they're hearing about Paul. They, they know he's in prison. The first mark of a, of a um, godly church is, King James says conversation, but it's conduct. Your conduct. A.T. Robinson states that the word used was only used twice in the New Testament. It usually means how a person should walk day by day. But Paul switches the word here. This conduct and behavior is of citizenship of a person who is a citizen of a great nation. The church understood exactly what Paul was saying. They were citizens of heaven. You may think you're one hand, you're a citizen of maybe of Massachusetts, of the United States. But if you're a Christian, you're a citizen of heaven. That's your nationality. That's what you are. You're a citizen of heaven. It says in Hebrews that we're pilgrims and strangers passing through. As someone prayed here this morning, as Annie prayed, we're in this world, but we're not of this world. We're of another world. We're of another kingdom. And you feel like a stranger and a foreigner, good, because you should. If you are part of the world system and thinking like that, that the enemy has nullified you in a way where you can't be effective for the kingdom. And so, therefore, there's a few things here. As a citizen, we keep close ties with heaven keeping close ties to heaven. How do you keep close ties with, to heaven? You're in this book, you're reading his word, or however you take it in, you pray, and you're with God's other citizens. That's how you stay close. You have ties to your citizenship. You have ties to heaven. I am convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt when people tangent off into another direction or something's going on in their life and whatever, and they turn their back and they walk away, there is no way, no way, that they're reading this Bible and praying and the Spirit of God leads them to do that. It's probably very evident that they're not in the Bible and they're not praying. That's why it's so vital. That's not legalism. That's just staying close to your citizenship. This is the king talking to us, Jesus, God through the word, and so we stay close. When you're close to to God, you're not going to get close to something else. What happens is people get close to something else. They begin to drift and attach to something else, and you wonder, say, what happened to them? What went wrong? Most likely, they weren't reading the Bible. They weren't praying. They weren't coming to church. That's what happened. It's not complicated. We all have issues. We all have problems. If you're living on planet Earth, you have these issues and problems. And so you either push God aside and try to deal with yourself, you end up over here, or you stay close to God. And as we're going to see, sometimes it involves suffering. We want a Christianity where it's suffering free. Go tell that to those people around the world that are suffering for Christ and tell them, you know, it's it's amazing when you hear this prosperity gospel that's out there. You know, money. God wants to heal you. All these things. Does God want to heal? Yeah, if it's his will, he'll heal you. But sometimes he doesn't heal. Well, then obviously something's wrong with your life. You must have sin in your life. That type of, that's false teaching. And there's millions of people that are believing that. And even, so through religion, you get off track. False religion. Keeping close ties to heaven. Also, our speaking. Speaking clean and pure language of heaven. You know, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth but that which is used to edifying other people. We all feel in that. We all say the wrong things at the wrong time. But I know in my heart, I want to say the right things. I want to say the godly things. You stay close to heaven in, in this citizenship by your, what you say. To me, saying less is way better than saying a lot. Because you've got less chance of saying something ungodly, or something that's going to cause someone to stumble or to hurt someone else. Let your words be few. That's what it says in Proverbs. Let your words be few on this earth. You've got less chance of messing up. Um, we're a witness to the citizenship. A witness to the customs of heaven. When people look at you, obviously not perfect, but when people look at you, do they see something different, and do they see okay, they can't figure it out. Because you're a citizen of heaven, there's something different about you. This whole thing of, I know Paul said, I'm all things to all people, you try to relate to people where they're at, but what happens is people conform to what the world system is, and they become just like everybody else, and you don't stand out, and people don't stand out because they don't want to take a stand for God, because they're intimidated, they're fearful, and all those things are natural, but the Holy Spirit gives you boldness, gives you courage. To stand for stand for heaven, stand for God. That's what makes a difference. The world is pushing very hard. And so through the spirit of God within us, we he will push back harder. And with that will come Maybe, maybe you'll be alienated in your workplace. Maybe you'll be alienated with your family. But in the end, does it really matter? It's not going to matter. You're going to stand before Jesus Christ, and it's, it's gonna, he's going to look at you and say, you lived for me the best that you could. Perfect no, but you lived for me. And that's all that's going to matter. This verse kind of hit me Wednesday night, um, James 4, 4. Kind of just kept going back to it. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that the friendship with the world is enmity or enemy with God? Whoever, therefore, wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Obviously, he came to save the world. He loves the world. But he's talking about a system that, that word, okay, what's an adulterer and adulteress? It's someone who would cheat on their husband and their wife. Basically, what God is saying, when you love the world, you're cheating on me. Do we take it that seriously? When I love, and it's a fine line, you've got to have the discernment to know you're in the world, but you're not of the world. You've got to partake of and and function in the world, but also, I don't love the world. I said Wednesday nights, it's like, it was the, I knew, I wasn't saved, but I knew the system that I was living in, going to college and everything. I didn't believe any of it. I felt there was a wicked void inside of me, and this is what you got to do. And I wasn't going to be a conformist. I didn't want to go that way. I, I was kind of re- obviously rebellious, but I didn't have the answer. But I could have recognized this is phony. And I couldn't, I couldn't submit to that. And thank God, because it was really that emptiness inside of me that I was searching. I was searching for truth. And when people are searching for truth, the Lord will meet them where they're at. Second Timothy two, three and four. Second um, Timothy two, verses three and four. If now, we'll go on to the next one. If not, just go to 1 Timothy 4.12. Let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, and purity. It is true. We have to tell people about Jesus. But if what you say has no connection to the way you live... It's not going to be heard the way God wants it to be. No, let no one despise if you're young, but be an example in your conduct. You can talk the talk, but are you going to walk the walk? Are you really, you know, and I'm talking about church where everybody's here and everybody's a Christian. When you leave here, what are you really like? Again, I'm not saying perfect. I'm just saying you're trying to live for Christ. That's what's going to have an impact on the world. And then when you speak, there'll be a connection there. Because they'll say, okay, yeah, kind of lives that way. And he's saying that, so it connects. How you see these verses? 1 Peter 2.12. Having your conduct or your actions honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they behold, glorify God in a day of visitation. Now they, can, they can put you down and say things about you, but they know how you live. The second mark of a great church or a godly church is honoring the gospel. Verse 27. Only let your conduct be as becomes the gospel of Christ that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. And in this version, becomes means to be fit or suitable. No hypocrisy, no pretense. The believer's behavior fits the gospel. Your loving you're kind, you're compassionate towards people, you care about other people, it becomes, you're the walking gospel. You're the walking Bible. How are people reading you? Well, I can't say anything or act that way because I'm afraid. God hasn't given you a spirit of fear. The power and love of a sound mind. The enemy puts fear in you, not the Holy Spirit. And sometimes it's a baby step, it's another step, it's another step, uh, and you learn. I remember when I first got saved where I worked, after a while they couldn't stand me. And they knew something would change. And then as time goes on you learn. I don't, want to le- I don't want to lose that zealousness, but also you get wiser. You're able to know when and where and how. That just takes time, that just takes maturity. And it takes growing as a Christian. But don't think because you look back, oh, the way I was, was horrible. No, that's the way you were, and God used you. And people still remember what you were like. Even though you didn't even see them anymore, they remember. Suitable to the gospel. No church or believer should bring dishonor to the gospel. Not just a hearer, but a, a doer of the work. Basically, the marks of a great church, the marks of a godly church, is the marks on your life, how you live. That person lives that way and they want me to, and and they're asking me to go to their church. They're probably thinking, why would I want to go to that church if they're like that? Everything connects. Lehman Strauss points out that this this is a picture of clothing so often stressed in the scriptures. We often say a piece of clothing is becoming to a person. Clothing matches or enhances their looks, their personality. The same with the gospel. If we put on the gospel, we are to wear the gospel. Is the gospel becoming to you? Do you look like, wow, that really fits well on them? you know, that clothing, that gospel really fits well on them because there's something about them that's different. Again, I didn't say perfect. I just said, when you're living for God, you don't even see it, but the spirit of God is on you and operating in you. And you don't even know what's going on, but it's affecting people in so many different ways. Are you becoming of the gospel? Does it fit you well? Titus 2.10 Not pilfering, but showing all good fidelity that that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. Adorn, putting on the gospel, the doctrine of God. Is it evident in your life? This is a challenge for all of us because the world system wants to water everything down. Don't be that way. That's a little offensive. Don't say that. Don't do that. All that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Maybe we don't suffer persecution at times because we're really not living for Jesus Christ. It might be. We're, we're, We're a closet Christian. And I don't mean to be obnoxious with people, but you stand for what you believe. Everybody else is standing for what they believe. And all of a sudden, we're going to be ashamed. They ought to be ashamed. They ought to be ashamed that they don't believe in God. Not us. I want to t- have them put up there. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, balls of mercies, kindness, meekness, long suffering. If you're, if you're concerned about people, if you care about people, that's, that's the abnormal today. People, when you have that heart, you know, most people, you're talking to them and they're not even listening to what you're saying. They're in their own world. There's a few people who will care. As Christians, we should be those who listen and listen and care and be concerned. It may seem minor to you, but sometimes that's the road in to where you can bring Christ to that situation. Instead of, oh, let me tell you about Jesus and all that, and you don't really care about him. The third thing is... um, Stand firm and steadfast. It says in verse 27, I come and see you or else be absent and hear of your fears that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. Standing fast. Paul's possibly getting ready to get executed. He told the church to stand fast. Stand fast in unity. One spirit, one mind. One spirit because of the spirit of God we're born again. One mind, all members set upon the same purpose, the purpose of Christ. The world thrives on splitting and dividing, you know, killing, divorce, feuding. That's the world, the way it is. We're of one spirit because we have the Holy Spirit, but also of one mind. We're all on the same page. We should all be on the same page as a church. We should all be thinking the same not as clones, or as a cult, but we're thinking according to this, and we're living according to that, and we're unified. I, I played a lot of basketball growing up, a lot of sports, and you would see a team with a lot of talent, and you go, how are we gonna beat that team? Thing is, they were all individuals who were selfish and self-centered, they wanted to be the star, and the team I played on, everybody was unified, we weren't as good as them, but we were unified. And when you're unified and that chemistry is there, you win. It can't be beat. Great talent doesn't, it helps, but it doesn't, you can have great talent and not be of one mind. It happens in sports, but just think of the church. Sometimes the world has, has this down better than the church. unity the enemy loves division he he feeds on it he loves it and that's how church splits happen that how all that stuff happens yeah if something's unbiblical you bring it to the light but when something is not you need to be unified nothing unifies the church Here I go, again, nothing unifies the church more than when a church comes together and prays. It knits people's hearts. Or when you pray as individuals with someone, it knits your heart. You know something about someone. You become tied to somebody. Unity. Paul's telling them, be steadfast and be of one mind. The church should be united in spirit and mind, one in heart and purpose. That can get discouraging at times because sometimes when you're up here or Pastor Jeff's up here and you know you've heard from God, from the Spirit of God, and you share something with the church and people just don't get it. For whatever reason, I have it can be frustrating. Just being honest with you, it can be frustrating. It's like, okay, what is it that they didn't hear? And it's because it's something, it's not that they didn't hear, it's something in the heart. It's something in the heart that just doesn't want to go to a certain place that we heard this morning, die. Die to yourself. I have to listen to the same... I, I, I sit there too and I listen to messages and I have to hear the Spirit of God and I have to... Okay, I get this. This is where we have to be unified, one spirit. Hypothetically, you could have a church this size and who's really with you, who's really in, in unison of the same mind, not following anybody or anything, but what God is doing, and you get behind that. When that happens, things happen. A church, God just moves because he sees that. When there's disunity, it hinders the spirit. 2 Corinthians thirteen eleven. Finally, brethren, farewell, be it complete be of good comfort be of one mind this is paul talking to them live in peace and the god of love and peace will be with you be of one mind it's not my business to know who's of one mind here and who isn't all i'm saying is we should be of one mind how many cylinders are re- are we really running on here I don't know, but I think our potential is great if people are unified. Ephesians four three. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Again, the enemy is about division, divide, divide and conquer. You don't have to put this up, Grant, but First Peter three eight. Finally, be of all, be all of one mind. Stand fast in striving together for the faith of the gospel. It says there in verse 27. That word striving means it's a picture of, it's an athletic term of a team working and struggling together against strong opposition. There's going to be opposition. There's going to be opposition to whatever you do because the enemy just doesn't sit back and let you do what you want. And sometimes we think it's opposition. We go, oh, this can't be God's will. If there is opposition, it probably is God's will. Either that or God's trying to block you on something. You have to hear on that one. But sometimes we take all opposition as, oh, I'm not supposed to do that. Are you kidding me? Read the Bible. (laughs) Read the book of Acts. There was opposition everywhere they went. Is it pleasant? No, it's not pleasant, but God gives us his spirit to endure any of those things that word strive work struggle push exert all energy together therefore the faith of the gospel needs every member working and struggling together we're in this together if you're in, if you're part of this body then we're all in this together and we're going to struggle together we're going to battle together we're going to cry together we're going to laugh together For me personally, I don't think I could I could make it in a huge church. I couldn't just go in and go out. If that's all there was, maybe. Wherever I lived, that's all they had. But this is where it gets down to the nitty-gritty, right? <laughs> people know you, they pray for you, you know, and, and and it's like sandpaper sometimes, rubbing, rubbing. But that's how God works. He takes out the rough edges and a lot of times he takes it out through other people like, oh, I wish that person would just go away, you know, I wish they weren't here, and they're here for a reason, just to rub you the wrong way, to, to see, to see how you react, or you come in, I'm going to avoid that person, go this way, this is the spiritual family that we have, we welcome more into the family, and those who are here, it's, it really bothers me a lot when people just leave after so long a time and really have no reason. They come up with a reason, but I know there's another reason. And what happens, this is my, just my personal opinion, they have issues in their life, and they go from one church, and they don't deal with that issue. Then they come to another church, and then they don't deal with that issue. And so then when when God's starting to move in to pinpoint that in their life, what they do is come up with, well, I really don't like that, so I'm leaving. It had nothing to do with that. It had to do with the issue. And nothing ever gets resolved. Location doesn't solve the problem because you're still going there. It's still you. And so, you know, Lord... Just, I'm not running. I'm, just do what you got to do in my life. You know, like I said this morning, surrender. Just, okay, I had enough of running. I'm not going to blame other people. It's, you know, if something's unbiblical going on, obviously you have to leave. But if th- that's not it, it's something personal, then God's trying to deal with that in your life. i let me go down the street to the next church where, you know, the heat isn't too hot. The spirit is working in me. I mean, really, what have you got to lose anyway? You've, obviously, you've said you've given him your life, so let him do what he wants to do. But we want to hold on to it. It's a lot of work to do that. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain. Steadfast. The word that's been coming to me the last month is continue. Continue. Just whatever you're doing, just continue doing it. You know, you're walking with God, just continue. Do you want to make it to the end? Do you want to make it to the end of this marathon that we're on, basically? It's a marathon. It's a race. Are you going to quit in the middle? Are you going to give up? I... I, I can say this and say, God, protect me, but I never want to quit. I don't want to give up. Why? I'm not going to let you cause me to give up. I'm looking at Jesus. In Second Peter 3.17... Therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked. That verse just hit me this morning. I was reading my own time. It's like, be careful that you're not led away by someone else. The error of the wicked and fall from your own steadfastness. That will take you out of your steadfastness. determined to keep going on. And there's error, and there's false teaching. There's, there's all this stuff that's out there that's going to try to rock you from your steadfastness. Let away. Yeah, come this way. Follow me. And before you know what, you're not steadfast anymore. You're shaky, and then before you know what, you're out there. Then the last sign of Godly churches courage, and fearlessness. Isaiah 41.10 Fear not, for I'm with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. You don't have to fear. There's so many people that are living in fear today. God hasn't given us a spirit of fear. Fear. So, where's that coming from? The flesh or the demonic world? You need to be, and it comes in a way, well, you need to be concerned. Then the Bible says, be anxious for nothing. So then it's like, okay. And then it's like, instill fear into you. Anxiety is rampant in this world today. And what's behind that is fear. You get anxious, you get fearful. You get scared and it's not, a, it's not a pleasant place to be in. All I know is the word says, don't fear, I'm with you. Do you believe that? Do you believe he's really with you? Do you sense him? Do you sense the Holy Spirit? Like, okay, so what's the worst thing that can happen? I die, then I go to heaven. What are you you afraid of? If you're not afraid of death, we're we're not afraid of death, but we're afraid of living because of things that come in. But God allows them to come in because He wants us to fear not. You're going to trust me. You're going to believe me. And it says in verse twenty-eight, "Don't be terrified by your adversaries." The mark of of a godly church godly people is there's courage in them and there's fearlessness in them and not afraid of the adversary god uses one person god uses persecution to convict it says here their hearts of evil it's also a sign of salvation for us if we stand fast it is a sign of of the spirit's empowering and a sign we are true believers actually when we're persecuted people look and people see and it's actually a sign that we're with him. There's people in other countries, like Pastor Jeff said last week, the Chinese, they're praying that they would be put in jail and be persecuted for his sake to experience what that means. I'm not saying I'm going looking for it, but when it comes, what are we going to do? One person said, persecution is a privilege. We are suffering the highest honor imaginable. That's the mind of Christ. Okay, wherever I'm going through, the Holy Spirit's going to be with me and strengthen me and give me what I need. Right now, when I think about it in the future, I, I can't handle that but when you get there the grace is there and god is there naturally speaking yeah we are we we our first reaction is fear but it's like when you get there god is there he's not there until you until you get there and he shows up in that place we're trying to anticipate it before we get there and we're feeling the way we feel and we feel where is he it's like faith you take a step of faith god's there after the step. Yeah. Philippians 1, 12 and 14. But I want you to know, this is Paul talking to them, rather than that, the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. So that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and all the rest that my chains are in Christ and most of the brethren in the Lord, having been confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Actually, when you go through something and you are living for God in the midst of it, other people are encouraged in their faith by what they see in you. And they see your testimony and how you are coping with the situation. So Paul was saying... Actually, me being in prison has furthered the gospel because these people that are outside are getting stronger because they see what I'm going through and God's with me. It furthers the gospel. I mean, let's face it. We don't think this way at all. That's why you have to have this in your mind. The Word of God. So that you think with God. Not think the way... Ted Shabelli wants to think, or anybody else, it means the way I think is irrelevant. It's, I want to think the way God's thinking so I can get through whatever it is he's, I'm going through. What do we do? We try to avoid suffering. Paul left a dynamic example to be, to bear, perse, how to bear persecution. He was arrested, he was beaten, he was jailed. The church witnessed that. He bore it all for Christ. Acts five forty one. So they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And then first Peter two twenty. For what credit is it if when you are beaten for your fault you take it patiently, but when you do good and suffer, you take it patiently? This is commendable before God. Sometimes we are in trouble and persecuted, not because of the sake of Christ, but because of our own whatever, us. Oh, this is persecution. No, you said the wrong thing at the wrong time and because whatever reason that was, proud, arrogant, insensitive, you're suffering the repercussions of that because of your ignorance and you want to attach it to God. But he's talking about being able to suffer for Christ. You're doing the right thing, you're living for God, and then this thing comes upon you. I wonder what the prosperity gospel people would tell all those people that are suffering around the world. They're jailed, they're sleeping on a slab of cement. They don't have people that don't have any Bibles. People that can't even get together as a church. Their church is destroyed. You know, husband goes one way, the wife goes another way. No, they weren't very spiritual. Otherwise, that wouldn't have happened to them. See how that doesn't fit the gospel? It's dangerous because it becomes an American version of Christianity. And then the last verse here, First Thessalonians 3.3. 3. And no one should be shaken by these afflictions for you yourselves know that we were appointed to this. Sometimes I read that and go, wow, God's got an appointment for me. Maybe something's appointed for me and it's just like, okay, God, help me, help me. You cry out to God. There's nothing wrong with crying out to God in the midst of that. We're human, but he will provide what we need. So the question is are these are these are the marks on our life if they are on each individual again not perfect but we're we'll see with the closing song we aren't we aren't a finished product yet we're moving along but don't stay in the same place keep moving do we behave as christians do we honor the gospel do we stand firm are we courageous and fearless and don't get yourself in a place where, no, I'm none of those, so I feel so horrible and guilty. You just cry out to God and say, Lord, these are areas where I failed. I want to change that. And he's faithful and just to come in. He's forgiven all of our sins. He already knew you were going to do that, and he's covered that. But don't sit there in that place. Imagine if we all made a a commitment to seriously, okay, I haven't arrived. I need to keep moving. Whatever God has for me, I keep moving along until the end. Until my life is over. What's the potential here? I say it's unlimited. Amen? Lord, just thank you for that promise that This work will continue in our life until we go home to be with you. But thank you for your hand of grace on our life. The love that you have shown us and continue to show us will not stop. We thank you this morning. Lord, I pray for myself. I pray for each person here. that you continue the work that you're doing in us, that we would allow you to do that. Lord, you have great plans and great potential for maybe people that are walking below that potential, and yet you're not giving up on them. You keep calling them. Just as we pray for the young people, I pray that they would hear your call on their life, those that went to the camp. We thank you for your word, Lord. We thank you that you give us, through your spirit, courage and you give us fearlessness. That you cause us all together to be unified because of who you are. Because there is no disunity between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. They're one. And that's the oneness that you want in us, in our church, God. Lord, do great things through our life. Please, God. Hear our cry as we cry in our hearts. Continue that work. Use us, God. Use each and every one of us where you've placed us to have an impact on this world. That they may not agree with us, but when they walk away, they know that there was something different about us, and it's because of your life in us. We want to give you the glory and honor. It's in your name we pray. Amen and amen.